On this latest episode of Locked On Texans, John and I are going to be joined by Brandon K. Scott and Big Sars for part one of our epic crossover episode as we recap the first quarter of the Houston Texans 2022 campaign. You are Locked On Texans, your daily podcast on the Houston Texans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to this latest installment of Locked On Texans. And I know things might look a little bit different, but John and myself, we're going to call this the major crossover episode of Locked On Texans because, look, as you guys know, you know my guy. Let me see if I can get this right. John, some sports guy, Hickman, my co-host, but Below us, we got some major special guests. We got Brandon K. Scott from Sports Radio 610 and Big Sars. You guys also should, I'm going to use his government name as Brian Bearfield, a part of Texans Wire and Sports Talk 790. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our two special guests. What's going on, guys? <laughs> hey, what's going on, yo? <laughs> Man, I'm just glad to be on with three of my favorite people in the business. <laughs> Y'all being in the business know that hey, it's not it's not a ton of real ones out here. It's some, it's some, <laughs> but it's not a ton of real ones out here. And so these are three real ones. So I'm just glad to be here with y'all, man. Being being amongst good company make me feel good. Hmm. Yes, sir. And what we're going to do, like I mentioned, we're going to do a two part series, um, just recapping the Houston Texans start to the 2022 campaign. And then part two is going to be what should we expect from this organization moving forward? John, if you don't, if you if you don't mind, I'm going to get this started with the first question. I want to ask both of you guys. On Sunday, the Houston Texans had an opportunity to record their first victory of the 2022 campaign. Sarge, B. Scott, it doesn't matter who goes first, but what are some of you guys' takeaways from the Houston Texans' first win of the 2022 campaign? Go ahead, B. Age before beauty. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that, man. So, so, Sarge wanted a few Beautiful men that I would take that uh, I would take that type of insult from. Uh, look, guys, we talked about this game going in. One of the things that I mentioned on that Friday episode before the Texans went over the Jaguars was that I reserved the right to change my mind week to week. But in that moment, I didn't have a single game that I thought the Texans matched up well as a favorite or as a team that I felt comfortable picking to win at the very least in that moment. Now, if there was going to be a game, there was going to be a team to expect them to play well against. I guess it would be the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now I was guilty. I was guilty of buying into some of the good things that we had seen from the Jacksonville Jaguars the first couple of weeks of the season, but the last couple of weeks against the Texans, uh, uh, against the, against the Philadelphia Eagles, they looked a little bit more like the old Jaguars, didn't they? Uh, Trevor Lawrence looked more like rookie Trevor Lawrence that people wanted to make excuses for, as opposed to the quarterback that he honestly was looking like the first couple of weeks, which is somebody that has shown some growth and some progression over uh, over, over an offseason and with a year under his belt. So uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I'm always glad to be wrong about the Texans when I say something negative about them and they do the opposite thing that's positive. I'm always glad to be wrong about it and, and, and will wear it every time. Uh, but I did think, I'll say this, I did think that this was the type of game or the, I should say the type of way 
that they should win a game. They they were outgained. Uh, they were they were out everything except outscored uh, for the most part. I mean, the only things that they won that were key, I, other than the final score, obviously. Bear with me. The only things that they won were time of possession and the turnover battle. Those are the only real key matchups that the Texans won. And this team that we're talking about right now, the twenty the twenty twenty two iteration of the Houston Texans. That's what they got to do to win ball games because for the most part they're going to be outmatched. The only only team that they've played so far that I didn't think they were outmatched against was the Chicago Bears. They ain't even win that game. So <laughs> uh, so so that's that's where we are. I was I was proud to see them go out there and win an ugly game and 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 win it in a way that I thought is very specific to the type of uh, talent level and skill set that they got on the team. I'm going to piggyback off of what uh, Brandon said, and I want to be honest with you. That Friday on air, I, I said that there's no possible way that Houston, Texas could win that game. And I said that like, they're not going to win. I, I, I'm i not afraid to say that I'm one of the people who will admit when I'm when I'm wrong. And at that time when I made the prediction, I did not think that I was wrong, because if you looked at that Jaguars team, you know, the way that they defeated the Chargers, and then you give them a pass against the Eagles because they played in some very, very adverse weather. I mean, it was really bad. Trevor Lawrence had four four turnovers, four fumbles. And I said, well, that's because the weather was really bad. And so coming into the Texans game, I figured that they would be able to not only run the ball on the worst run defense in the NFL, but that Trevor Lawrence may have turned a corner and being with Doug Peterson, that they would that they could put it together, especially playing in some better weather, and we could see what happened, uh, what kind of games they were playing, like when they played against the Chargers. Well, you know, hats off, kudos to the Houston Texans because they just went in there and they played, you know, smash mouth football. They played very tough. Um, I was very surprised that Doug Peterson abandoned the run so early against, you know, the worst run defense in the NFL. And I keep reiterating that because you look at what Chicago was able to do to them. You look at after the first game, what the Indianapolis Colts were able to do to them in the fourth quarter and in overtime. And here you have a guy, Travis Etienne, who set out all last season, who's fresh and healthy. And the first three touches, he had 52 yards. He ended the game with 10 carries for 71 yards. And, you know, you start putting the, the game in the hands of Trevor Lawrence. And to me, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I, I have egg on my face because I thought that Trevor Lawrence was going to play better than he did. And it looked like to me that he was trying to get more highlight plays than he was taking what the defense was giving him. So, you know, I was wrong. And on the flip side of that, real quick, I was – I was very surprised at the way that the Houston Texans offensive line played, especially going up against uh, that defensive front seven of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I was not surprised the way that they ran the ball with uh, Damian Pierce. And Davis Mills didn't win the game, but Davis Mills didn't lose the game. And so I thought that at the end when uh, uh, Pep Hamilton and Lovey Smith put their heads together and say, hey, how about we do this? On the last 12 plays of this drive, we give the ball to Damian Pierce seven times. Like, that seems like a great recipe to win the game to me. You know, this question is for Sarge. Sarge was one of, if not the only person, to mention 
or hinting at the, the slight decline in Brandon Cooks. Now, through five games, has the lack of production been on Cooks mostly in his decline, or has it been from the player Davis Mills? And the reason why I think this is an important question, signed the contract extension earlier in the year. He's a player that I think genuinely may want to be around his franchise and vice versa, but there is a question on of whether or not he is the, the number one receiver of this team right now. Has it been on his taking a step back due to age and just being in the league for a while, or is it because of the quarterback play? Uh, I, I will say this. I think that it's more of the quarterback play. I still don't feel that Brandon Cooks is uh, a wide receiver who can stretch the field anymore, not a, not on consecutive plays. I feel like he can do he can get you one, maybe two every two series, maybe, and that and that if the series and if the drives are sustained. So I, I feel like he's taking a step back as far as the speed is concerned. The the flip side of that is it's it's tricky to me, John, because Davis Mills has not played great an entire game. We've seen him play great in spurts. And so even when Brandon is open, it seems like he can't get the ball where he needs to get the ball. When you have a a wide receiver that's aging a little bit, that has been in the league a little bit longer and has lost a step as far as speed is concerned, but is still, you know, proficient in his route running. You have to make sure that you get him the ball in the right spots because you got to look at it like this too. He is not, he's one of those players where he, he ain't finna take no hits. And so, you know, Davis no Mills, more. No, Davis Mills putting the ball in some of these spots where he just reaching his hand out like this, or you know, he's jumping, but you know, in his peripheral, he's looking to see who's close to him because he's not going to take these type of hits, especially uh, when you have an inaccurate quarterback who could get him destroyed in certain plays. And so, that man got kids now, Sarge. They, yes. he, he, he ain't been a father the whole time. That man got a family to look out, exactly. So, so, I don't know, can I can, can I table this? Till maybe later on in the season and answer this question so we could see give it get a little bit more of Davis Mills and Brandon Cooks together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's fair because before we move on, I think that when we judge Brandon Cooks and his play, and the question is whether or not he's still the number one or you know receiver option on this team, I think that by the end of the season, we're gonna have a, a better look at whether or not Nico is the undoubted number one receiver on this team. Stat says he is right now. Targets does not say he is. So, so I think that, you know, I think that the targets need to increase. But because of the up and down play of Davis Mills and how some of these passes have been completely overthrown, uh, I'm, I'm inclined to say that Nico Collins should be receiving the bulk of the targets. I believe that he is the number one receiver because at the very least, he can make up for some of those bad passes, just being able to jump out the gym and being 6'4". We're going to move along. We're going to come back more about the first half, first five games through the season from the Houston Texans, Big Sarge, K. Scott. Y'all know what it is. All right, here's a sports analogy for you. When it comes to burglars, your home is like the end zone, and you need the absolute strongest defense you can muster. That's why I use and trust Simply Safe Home Security. At Simply Safe, your, your safety and security is the only thing that matters. It's cutting edge technology powered by 24-7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back. So you always know your home is safe. 
With 24-7 professional monitoring, Simply Safe agents call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch police or first responders in an emergency, even if you're not home or cannot be reached. Simply Safe blankets your home and protection with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door, HD security cameras for inside and outside of your home, smarter ways to detect motion that only alert you when the threat is real, and even hazard sensors that instantly detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash locked on NFL. Save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free. Visit simplysafe.com slash locked on NFL to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Thanks again for making Locked On Texans your first listen every day. Make sure you check out the Locked On Key Predictions every Friday on Locked On NFL. Locked On local experts give you the inside scoop on the five biggest games of the NFL weekend, including Sunday and Monday Night Football, plus betting advice from the field's leading experts, Bet Online. Follow NFL Key Predictions every Friday on Locked On NFL, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back, Locked On Texan listeners and viewers out there. Listen, so five games through the year, there's been some downs. Normally you say ups and downs, there's been some downs. There's been a couple of ups, and I think that one of the ups you guys mentioned earlier getting that dub on Sunday, I think I was the only I am the only one of this four to pick the Texans to win this game. Um, however, some of the some of the ups for this season so far came in the offseason. Got to look at Steven Nelson. I think Steven Nelson's been playing some very good football for the Houston Texans. Jerry Hughes at 137 years old is leading his team in sacks right now. And uh, I think him and Joe Lewis went to high school together. And so when you look at the first five games through the year, what's been your take, Brandon K. Scott, on the Houston Texans offseason signing so far? Let me just get this in real quick. You ain't never met no Martin Luther the King. All right, all right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can't start coming to America references and let me like not can't get one of them. You I cannot do it. That boy now, good. That good and terrible. Um, so anyway, uh I look, the draft is the the part that I that I focus on because that to me speaks more to the future and the things that are going to be relevant for us, not just this season, but in, in future seasons, next season, the year after. So you talk about guys like Stingley and Petrie and Damian Pierce leaving the mark like they are. I mean, I think that that is super important, but I'm glad that you kind of positioned the question. Really by, quick, I got to stop you because y'all skinny folks do this all the time. You not gonna skip over fifty nine. You not gonna yeah. skip over <laughs> Kenyon Green and how he's been playing some damn good football. We not gonna do that. Yeah, you know that I, weight limit is a big thing for me, man. We gonna show the big boys some love because, goddamn it, I, that's my I, heart. I was I was rushing to get to the point about the the veterans that you brought up in your question, but to your point about Kenyon Green. He has been excellent, excellent. Like, I know he's got some things to work on in pass, in, in pass coverage, but he is pretty much everything that they said he was in terms of being like a, a, a road-grading, 
just big old mean. Like, remember, I, I think I wanted to say I said this on the show at one point too during the offseason. Like, they ain't got no nasty dudes on the team. Like, everybody is just so nice and respectable, which is cool to deal with for us and the media to talk to them. And everybody's nice. But even on the field, I'm like, who's mean? Who like, and particularly like the the guys who's supposed to be mean, the big dudes. Okay, you talk about me being skinny. All right, the, the, the guys that's way past my weight class. I'm talking about the Kenyon Green type of sized guys. I didn't feel like they had no mean guys. And Kenyon Green, for as nice as he actually is, is a mean son gun on that on that football field, right? So point point taken. I was rushing through it, but your point is valid. On the thing about Steven Nelson and Jerry Hughes, these are a lot of the names that were coming up in training camp. Some of these older players who maybe not Jerry Hughes because, uh, you know, I feel like they load managed him. But Steven Nelson was somebody that was making plays since the day we laid eyes on him. The, the, the guy has been out there. Sarge, Cody, you can attest, like, being out there at the practices. Steven Nelson is somebody who has made noise. I, I like – so my, my thing with Nick Casario is, is, has been a very uh, sort of conflicting and – uh, or maybe a, a colliding type of feeling about him because I feel like some of the things that he's done on the coaching side, and I can't blame them all on him because I feel like it's a whole organizational thing. It's not just Nick making the decision, but I look at what they did with last year's coaching staff and I just scratch my head like, man, ooh, you know, like what was, what was going, what were we doing last year exactly? Like what was that all about? But then I look at some of these acquisitions, namely the, the, the draft picks, but some of the acquisitions like a Steven Nelson, uh, like a like a Jerry Hughes, um, it, 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 it makes me feel good about him as a personnel guy in terms of the players so far. But it's just such a small sample size. And the thing that I struggle with in terms of like really valuing guys like that is like, OK, you, you asked me, John, last week or maybe a couple of weeks ago, what's the legacy of Brandon Cooks as a Texan? And I was like, man, you know what? What's going to be the legacy of all of these guys that played damn good football for the Texans when it just really didn't matter or when they weren't going to win games? So, like, I would extend a similar question that you asked about Brandon Cooks last week to Desmond King, who had a big game last week and has had some pretty cool moments in his first in, in his two seasons with the Texans. Like what was what would a legacy of a guy like that be? It ain't gonna be none because he won't. By the time this team gets good again, it's very likely that he's not here anymore. Or very of uh, a good chance that he's not here anymore. Uh, but you don't want to forget that. Uh, and, and I think Stephen Nelson kind of falls along along those lines right now. I know it's been a you know only a, five games of him being here. Uh, Jerry Hughes the same. I like the veterans that they brought in. Um, I just don't feel like they were even in a position to bring in the, uh, between where they were politically, okay, and where they were financially. I don't feel like they were in a position to bring in high-end free agent talent like they will be hopefully uh, in, in 2023. Sarge, Sarge, you was there on Tuesday when I had an opportunity to ask Nick Casario about the progression that he has actually seen um, since Lovey Smith and Pep Hamilton has really taken the hams over this franchise when you compare it to the first five games of last season. And of course, I made the mistake by saying comparing it to last season because he definitely gave us the politically correct answer. But Sarge, from what you can see, you, B. Scott, John, we all been around this team 
ever since day one. What type of progression have you seen um, since Lovey Smith took over as head coach and Pep Hamilton coming up as this team offensive coordinator? So it's really funny you say that, Cody, because I remember you asking the question, but by the time he finished answering it, I, I was saying to myself, <laughs> squirrel. I was like, I'm so lost. And I was recording it. And I went back and I listened to the recording and I read the 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 5,800 word transcript and I was still mm-hmm. lost. And I still <laughs> I, I don't know. So I you know, I, I guess I it, it ends up happening to follow me once a show, you know, well, look, once a quarter when I'm on here, I have to say something oh how I feel and then it gets the backlash. I don't, I don't think the Texans are any further right now than they were last year. If anything, they may be a little step behind than when uh, Coach Cully was with the Houston Texans. I mean, mm. You know, a lot of people. A lot of people like to to say, I I, I like Lovey as a person. Don't get me wrong. I like Lovey as a person. I do not like Lovey as a defense coordinator. And so last season, when Coach Cully was taking a lot of the heat for being the head coach of the team, and people were talking about all the deficiencies that they had, all the the miscues and things like that, and how are they losing these games? I was like, well, who's the defensive coordinator last season? Because if you look at the Houston Texans this year, if you remove the, the talk about Davis Mills, we're talking about the defense again. One of the worst run defenses. I've said it before, and I'll keep reiterating it because it does not make any sense that this team is the worst in run defense when you rotate so many bodies in. You got fresh players on their front four. You know, your linebackers, you have linebackers that can, can make plays when they're allowed to make plays. But if you're still stuck in that antiquated mindset of I'm going to run this defense no matter what you say, that puts me back in the mindset of when Deshaun Watson was here and with Bill O'Brien and Tim Kelly. And they was like, you know, we're not going to do what the Baltimore Ravens did for Lamar Jackson. We're not going to do what uh, the Kansas City Chiefs did for Patrick Mahomes. We're not going to do what the Buffalo Bills did for Josh Allen. And these quarterbacks that I bring up, build a system around them. You're just going to have to fit in this system. So you're going to have to be the square peg to fit into the round hole. And we're just going to keep pushing you until you fit. As I I digress, this is the exact same thing that's going on with the Houston Texans defense right now. Lovey Smith is stuck into this mindset of this is the defense that I want to run, but you really don't have the personnel on the back end to run that type of defense. And what I mean by the back end, I'm not talking about what Brandon brought up with Steven Nelson. I'm not talking about Derek Stingley Jr. I'm not talking about Jalen Petrie. I'm not talking about even Jonathan Owens, who is playing out of his mind right now. I'm talking about your linebackers. You're dropping your linebackers into spaces that they have no clue on where they're supposed to be. You're dropping them into. You're making them. To, uh, you're making them become uh, 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 players who are lost. They look lost, and lost. I know that Grusha Hill and I know it's these two, Grusha Hill and Kirksey, are not players. They're highly intelligent. Now they may not be the most athletic linebackers in the league. But you're turn you're you're taking away something that they are really really good, and you're taking away one of their strengths because what are you doing? You're lining them up so far off of the line of scrimmage, and then you're dropping them to make them come up. Well, that's why you can't stop the run. You ain't running no stunts. When the last time you seen the the, the Houston Texans run any defensive line stunts? 
against the Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Rams during the preseason when Graylin Arnold got got the sack. So that was it. Zach Cunningham was pushed away from this team, was sent away from this team because they said that he couldn't fit into the defensive scheme. Well, Zach Cunningham was very good in run stopping. He's not good in dropping into space. And you're telling them where to drop into space. Go back and look at some of these games, the first five. Let's go back and look at some of the first five games of this season, some of the plays, excuse me, from the first five games of this season, and you'll see the linebackers are lost. They're doing a lot of trailing, which means that the the tight ends and the wide receivers are finding a huge open spot, and there's no possible way that you can put a linebacker on Mike Williams. If you bring down a safety to hold him to try to get up closer, you're still putting your – you're still putting your linebackers in a bad position because now they're trailing the tight end. They're running around like – so as I digress, and I, I didn't mean to get long-winded on you all, but as I digress, I don't think that the team is better now than they were last year. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projections – you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com with promo code locked on. I 100% agree with you on your linebacker take. This has been some of the most confusing. This has been one of the most miscommunicated linebacker groups I've seen in a very long time. There's been times on the field, I think in that first game, where Kamu and Kirksey, Kamu like slaps Kirksey on the shoulder pads because it felt like you're supposed to be here type of slap. You play ball, you know, like, hey, come on, man. And so they are having a huge issue out there. But in terms of stopping the run, I, I I would imagine that maybe some people would would look at whether or not they it would have made more sense for Houston to draft Jordan Davis over uh, Kenyon Green or one of those defensive tackles that is able to get a push. Now again, I'm agreeing with you with your linebacker uh, take. I don't even think it's a take. It's facts. It's out there. You can go and watch it, but. Interior defensive line play has been downright terrible for Houston. Uh, there's been times where I'm seeing Roy Lopez drove the opposite way. Uh, there's been times where you can rotate a guy a guy in like Thomas Booker or, or they get Hinnish in there. They're not creating a push. They're getting stand up, stood up, and that is allowing offensive linemen to just easily get to the next level. Now, uh, to your point, Kamu Gugier Hill, I think, is maybe the better run defender out of the two linebackers that we've seen so far. Um, I think he once he once he when he is flying to the ball, it's much better in terms of his play than when he's dropping back. But Houston does have a huge problem at defensive tackle, and there's no way, like I'm seeing way too many early mock drafts, and I'm seeing people like kind of skip over that, right? And so. I think that if you have an opportunity to choose one of those top quarterbacks next year or Jalen Carter out of Georgia, me personally, 
10 times out of 10, I'm well, John, Jalen Carter. Let me ask you a, a question real quick. Do you think that they made a mistake by getting rid of Ross Blacklock? I'm yes. asking. Yes. Because, and I'll tell you why. Ross was a guy that had his, he had his like, what are you doing moments? And I can agree with that. However, Ross does some good things that make other players look better. I thought that in the preseason, whenever he had an opportunity to play, Ross did some things that allowed the linebackers to flow easily. But the biggest reason why I would say yes, simply because you're counting on two of your rotational defensive tackles or what? Rookies. First year players, rookies. What is undrafted? And I like Hennish. Uh I I I've, I like Hennish more than I like Booker. Haven't seen much of nothing from Booker. But at least at the very least, Ross Blacklock knows the NFL, right? And, and maybe he can know how to win in some situations that again may not pop up on the stat sheet, but it allow your linebacker to make a play, and maybe allow one of the other defense to make a play. So do I think it's a mistake? Absolutely, simply because they're banking on two rookies fresh out of college to try to make a play, and they getting their ass beat right now. Yeah, uh, can I, let me jump in here real quick. Um, first of all, my question be no, you can't jump in. First, first of all, the Ross Blacklock thing. I, I I'm going to admire you guys for keeping your mind in front of you and and the present, living in the present. Bless bless you both for living in the present. But Ross Blacklock not being here was more is more of a young guy who's not a part of the future, doesn't have a future here. Let's get him out of here. Let's play the young guys type of thing. Like and, and there's an energy around that of hey, let's see what we got from the young guys. We have seen enough of Ross, and, and it wasn't good enough. Um, you you might be right about maybe Ross Blacklock right now today as we speak is a better player than Thomas Booker and and, and Kurt Heinisch. But this is – I feel like this was more of a projection. They feel like our, our our good vets are Malik Collins and Roy Lopez, whatever it's worth. Those are going to be our vets. And then behind that, we're going to go with the young guys. And so I don't I don't feel like getting rid of Ross was uh, was 100% about necessarily even Heinish and Booker being better than him right this second, but perhaps the projection that maybe they're ahead of where he was at as a rookie. Uh, maybe maybe the difference was negligible, and they didn't they didn't feel like a third year guy who's comparable to a rookie was worth keeping. So I, I think that was I, I think they had more to, more to do with it. I do want to make a point about uh, this uh, on Sarge's point that I actually agree with from uh, from a holistic standpoint. Like I, I think Sarge and I are here on the same page of not being a fan of Lovey Smith's defense, like just hard stop. Don't let me, like it. Let me let me go ahead and I I agree with y'all as well. I think that you know you saw it on Sunday. Trevor Lawrence when he was going against the middle of that field, picking it apart. That's what I've been my, saying my, all got, you. My uh, my coach, goddamn Beyonce, and I'll tell y'all what that means later. But wide open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, and and and, and B, before you make your point, I'll say this: like, and if you go back and you look. Uh, at that game, Trevor Lawrence made some bad passes in the middle of the field, but the the, the receivers were open. He just made bad mm-hmm. passes, and then when he made good passes, they couldn't That's hold on drops. to the ball. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. But look, they got dropped faster than my uh college economics class <laughs> three years in a row. <laughs> hey, but look though, 
all that being said, and so and we in agreement on this. Not just to be clear, we are in agreement on this about the defensive schematics and philosophy. I, this was an issue for me last year. Sarge was alluding to. I had a problem with it. But, however, one thing I did like about the defense last year was the attitude that they brought that was different. I thought they were a little uh, – made a point earlier about being nasty. I thought mm-hmm. it was a little bit nastier of a defense last year, and I think they've kind of kept that same energy. Have, have flat out just brought in more talented players on the defense, particularly on the back end, and then throw Jerry Hughes in there as well as, a, as an addition up front. But I, I just want to – I say all that to say uh, or to point out that as much as we don't like this defense uh, schematically, as much as we're not fans of maybe the antiquated system that Lovey Smith is out there, philosophy that Lovey Smith is out there running, defense is actually not really giving up a lot of points. Like that, they are doing a good job. With, like they like they're not breaking. Like if we're gonna if we're gonna break it down, they are like the if you were to rank their units, it would go special teams, defense. And then the offense don't even belong in the house. Like if, <laughs> if if the special teams and the defense get to eat at the kitchen table, the offense got to get its oh, uh, no, not the kid table. Its, no, the kid that would be a step up. The offense, the offense is like DoorDash. They're gonna leave it in front of oh. your door. You go. You got to go pick. You got to go pick it up. Like like that. To me, the reason why they are bad. And, and I'm not disagreeing with the point about them bad at being bad against the run defense. That's uh, there's empirical evidence of that. Like that, that's a that's a fact. But the thing that makes them a bad team right now, and the reason why they just finally won one game, five, you know, five games into the season, is because they don't have an offense. They don't have an offense uh, that is imaginative, and I feel like that is in part because they have a quarterback that they don't all the way fully believe in. Um, and so I like think about it. Sars mentioned earlier about how their their uh how, how Davis Mills didn't win them the game. Uh <laughs> they didn't really let Davis Mills do a damn thing until that uh, to, uh, to the to the end of the game. Like I'm looking through by the time it's halftime, you look at their two uh field goal drives that they got. Davis Mills throws like two or three passes beyond the line of scrimmage the whole time. Like everything is is some type of uh, quick quick game to the flat, some kind of quick quick screen game to the flat, or some kind of That's check down. That's not on Pep. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not saying it's on Pep. I'm I'm saying, it, matter of fact, I feel bad for Pep. I, I, I like I feel uh, bad. I'm like Pep, 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 Pep is sitting there go. like, man, I'd like to do this, but I don't think my boy can do that. And, I, and, and it's part of Pep's job to also protect, okay, he's protecting the whole unit. So you don't want to just go out there and have Davis Mills doing whatever you want him to do just because you want to do it or just because you want to be a creative play caller or you want to impress the world as an offensive coordinator. You got to play to your strengths. Pep talked about this from the moment he got hired since we talked to him. He said, hey, our personnel is going di- get to get the question. I got Landry Locker at, our, uh, at Sports Radio 16 so, have been asking the whole offseason, what is the Pep Hamilton offense? What is the Pep Hamilton offense? What is the Pep Hamilton offense? Pep kept telling, he's like, man, let's see what we, let's see what kind of dudes we got. You know what I'm saying? Let's see who who what what everybody can do, and that will in large part dictate what a Pep Hamilton offense is. And then look at them in victory, in victory on Sunday. Okay, they won the game, and how did they do it? 
by protecting their quarterback, by not overexposing their quarterback, by not doing what Doug Peterson allowed Trevor Lawrence to do. And, and this is a, a point I was thinking about, too, when Sarge was making it, about him trying to make highlight plays. I do wonder if that's part of the gift and the curse of being a high-level talent like that or somebody that people have been talking about forever, where you feel like you got to play up to that. You feel like you got to make plays that are consistent with that as opposed to, like Sarge said, taking what the defense gives you. And that is the difference between, I think, Davis, for the most part, Davis Mills and some of these other guys that are like gunslingers. Davis Mills, at the very least, will just dink and dunk his life away, you know, to take what the defense give him. Let me push back on you just a, just a little bit, going back right. to the defense. And I, like I said, you all, I apologize for getting long-winded, but, you know, being I, like three, four days out the week, we just be talking. So just, just a real quick pushback. B, I understand what you're saying about the defense, and I understand about the bend but don't break defense. But by the same token, I'm going to use I'm going to use Derek Stingley Jr. just for an example. At some point, you know, and and Lovey talked about it, Cody. I was sitting right in front of you uh, uh, the other day when when um, Lovey was talking about it and said about Derek Stingley. You know, we know that he he can play man really good but you know he also has to play zone I don't know what being a man cover corner means you know we got Derek he should be able to play zone too and I get that I got it but when you were watching this young man on film when you were scouting this young man how much zone did you really see him play Derek Stingley Jr. strength is man and I'm going to take you back since we're we're recapping I'm going to take you back to a play against the Denver Broncos third and 16 you remember this play Third and 16, Cortland Sutton runs up the field on one side. They have the tight end stretch in the middle of the field. And then I forgot whoever, because Jerry Judy had gotten hurt. So they had a wide receiver was on the Hamilton? other side. Hamilton? Huh? Ham- Ham- was it Hamler? I, 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 I can't remember who the other wide receiver is. And so I, I'm, sitting in, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in the Broncos stadium. I'm watching this play develop, and I'm saying to myself, wow. So when I go back and look at it, I get even it, – it's even more wow. On that third and 16, that Corlin Sutton caught that pass. And Russell Wilson could have went to anybody because all three of them were open. But you see Derek Stingley dropping, and Corlin Sutton is running up the field. He turns to run with Corlin Sutton, and then he realizes, I'm supposed to be in <laughs> zone. So he turns and he stops, right? And the reason why I know he's supposed to be in zone, because if you look at that play, look on the opposite side of the field, Steven Nelson stops in the exact same spot Derek Stingley does. Now, what does that do? Creates a sweet spot. Corlin Sutton is running up the field, right? Running up the, the left hash. And Jonathan Owens is saying to himself, now who the hell am I supposed to take? Because the, yep. the man that's coming up the middle of the field is wide open. And Corlin Sutton is wide open. And because Russell Wilson loved Corlin Sutton so much that game, he threw it to him. So you I see, that, that, play. You see that, play. that play. Derek Stingley turns to run with him. He he his instinct kicked in and I think Cody you and I have talked about this how people tend to lean back on their strengths, you know, when they go through adverse situations. So hmm. he's seen, he was like, "Damn, so let me turn and run. If I run with him, then I'm going to be out of position cuz there was nobody coming underneath in his zone, but he realized he had to stay in that zone." So uh, as I digress, a lot of times I see that when Derek Stingley wants to get in man and he should be playing man or and it's just, okay, I got to play my position because this is where coach told me I need to be. This is where coach told me I need to be. So, you know, like I said, talking about the linebackers earlier, now talking about Derek Singh, like it's some 
at, at some point in time, Lovey's going to have to take a step back and say, I got I need a defensive coordinator. Yes. <laughs> How are you the head coach and the defense coordinator? That was the one thing that I did not like about Lovey Smith becoming the head coach, because if he was still going to stay defensive coordinator, no possible way. You know what I would have done? I would have said, uh, if I, I, how much money does it take to get D'Amico Ryan's out of San Francisco? Like I'm gonna pay him, and I'm gonna tell him you're the head coach in waiting. So once we can get Lovey to write this ship just a little bit, you're gonna have this job. But I will give you any amount of money. I don't care about the lawsuit that you have going on against us, as far as the field is concerned. I'm gonna pay you. But I feel like Lovey Smith has too much on his plate. And last year when we seen where he just had the defense coordinator position on his plate and he basically told me to shut up last season when I asked him well are you going to do any blitzing or are you going to switch up the defense because you keep giving up big plays and he basically told me to be quiet all right then I'll just I, like I, I think that I, I think the real issue with this team you know on both sides and I want to address both points first Pep Hamilton a lot of people are calling for Pep Hamilton's job already and I'm on record by saying I think the offensive issues has been 70-30 Davis Mills or Pep Hamilton. And my biggest issue, which really is my only issue for Pep Hamilton, has been situational play calls, right? And so the one I would immediately point to would be the the the, uh, the Khalil Maxack that play. Or um, those tosses with Rex Burkhead, with, with Harrison Lee. Like, you've seen that work for Damian Pierce already. I wouldn't run a toss with Rex Burkhead. So those type of plays. But overall – I've seen plays when I look at the film and I'm looking at, okay, he's open. Okay, he's open. And if you're an NFL quarterback, you should be able to anticipate that throw him open. We haven't seen that out of the quarterback uh, consistently, and I think that is what's been holding this offense back so far. But defensively, I'm I'm with y'all, man. Like, at some point, modern football has to kick in, right? And so – uh, one of y'all mentioned no no defensive stunts, the lack of blisses. I am happy with how the way he's used Jalen Petrie, just not having him a drop back safety. So that's been, uh, I think for me personally, that's been something good to watch. But overall, you know, at some point, Lovey will have to look in the mirror. And if it's not Lovey, it has to be your boss, the person who hired you and said, no, some things need to change. Because number one, we don't have the talent to just outright run a base defense and beat guys, right? I don't think there's many defenses in the league that has the talent at all three levels to outright beat guys on a base defense. You have to get creative. You got to run some stunts, right? You got to, you know what? Go after the quarterback. I need you maybe drop back as a, you may, you may have to switch it up to confuse it. The problem is Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, uh, Trevor Lawrence, who lost to, but Justin Herbert and Fields, who had a rough game too. But the first three quarterbacks you play, three out of four, Three out of the four, first three, four, four quarterbacks could be played. Those are NFL vets. Matt Ryan didn't look good. Russ Wilson didn't look good. However, when they were able to take what the defense gave them, that's what they did. And that goes right back to your point, Sarge. Third and 16. How many third and longs did they give up that game? Third and 16, and you have an instinctual player who you drafted to cover your number one guy. If you're going to draft him to cover your number one guy and roll with the number one guy, the zone ain't the way to go, right? We look at what's going on with in New York with Sauce Gardner, and they're allowing him to play mad. Singles should be able to do the same thing. And so those are some of the issues where eventually you got to look in the mirror and say, either I got to change or I got to get up out this house. 
And that's going to be up to Nick Casario. And, and that was a decision when they brought him in as head coach. I think everybody was initially like, why Lovey? The defense wasn't that good last year for him to be a head coach. Why now? And so that's a conversation that by the end of this year, we're going to sit back and have because something's got to change. All right. We had 40-some minutes. So I'm going to close it just for the show. And hey, I know how we close it. I'm sorry. I know that feeling. Thank y'all for stopping by, checking out the Locked On Texas podcast with some family of ours, Brandon K. Scott, Big Sarge. This was fun. I think this is what needs to happen more often when we can just sit down and talk football. Look, sorry, I know I saw it doing that, but sit down and talk some football in this forum because sometimes I think the politics need to get thrown out the window. Sometimes the, the, the show and how we kind of construct the show, that needs to get thrown out the window. We need to talk football, and it was good to do that today. Uh, before we get out of here, let everybody know where they can find y'all work. Text and wire 16. Let them know where they can get everything. Uh, well, you can find me at uh, Big Star Sports with Z at the end on Twitter and on um, Instagram. You can find my work at Texans Wire USA Today, and you could hear me three days out of the week, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays on Sports Talk 790 uh, in the trenches, hosted by a former NFL player, Indy Kaloop. And I'm at Brandon K. Scott on Twitter. That's pretty much the central location to find out whatever I'm doing. Uh, SportsRadio610.com. I edit, write, and curate pretty much everything that goes on there. So check us out. Uh, also on the air, uh, not on the days when Sarge is on, fortunately. On Thursdays, I'm normally on at uh, at 11 a.m. on In The Loop. So when you're not listening to Sarge, come check your boy out. Uh, and I'm also gonna be uh, I'm also gonna be doing a morning show, which also won't conflict with Sarge either. Uh, six from six to ten uh, on Friday on Sports Radio six ten. Seriously, me and Sean Bajani will be filling Monday in. Too, right? Yeah. So uh, so Friday by the time you perhaps by the time some of you guys hear this, but Friday this week, yeah, Friday the bye week, and then the Monday following, uh, you, know, from, you know, after that Sunday when they don't play. I'll be uh, I'll be on air with Sean Bajani from six to ten on Sports Radio sixteen. So check us out. This is part one. Be sure to check out part two next week, and we're gonna have a lot to say, especially the future of this organization with the rookie class. Of course, we're talking about Jalen Petrie, Derek Stanley Jr., and of course, everybody's favorite player, Damian Pierce. But and until by the next way, the time, Houston Texans make, make it a point to find a change of pace back. So he can be in the league a lot, a lot longer. Did you mention Kenya Green? You did mention Kenya Green. And Keon Green, ladies and gentlemen. And Keon, wait, wait, and Keon Green featuring Derek Stanley Jr., Damian Pierce, and Jalen Petrie. Yeah, and everybody happy? <laughs> Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, peace.